Walters is open Monday through Friday starting at noon for lunch, midday baseball watching, and Euro 2020. So if you find yourself around the ballpark during the day, make sure you walk on over to Walters. Wednesday is the perfect time to catch a Nats game during lunch at Walters. Eric Fetty will try to keep his Oral Hirschheiser scoreless streak going when he takes the mound in Philly at 105. And who knows, you might even see him get undressed on the mound at a request of Joe Girardi. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now, Joe Girardi just goes out to the umpire and they're calling the crew in, and Scherzer's not happy about this. After that last out, Scherzer took his hat off and rubbed the back of his head with his hand. Maybe he had an itch, he's sweating a lot. And now Davey Martinez is coming out. And, and I think they want to check Scherzer again. Scherzer just threw his hat down on the ground, said, go ahead, check it, check everything. This is a little gamesmanship here by Girardi, no doubt. Davey Martinez is not happy. Max has taken off his belt now. Max is saying, I got nothing. He's holding his hands up in surrender, and Davey is really livid right now. And now he's giving it to Girardi, and Girardi's going to come out. Davey Martinez is challenging Girardi, and Girardi's coming out to the top step. And Max is steamed right now. And welcome to Nats Chat for Wednesday, June 23rd, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. What a night for the Nationals in Philadelphia on Tuesday. I'm not sure we can recount everything that took place of consequence. All I know is a game that took nearly four hours and included Max Scherzer unbuckling his pants, Davey Martinez yelling at Joe Girardi, Joe Girardi yelling at Max Scherzer, Joe Girardi getting ejected, Brad Hand loading the bases with one out in the bottom of the ninth, Bryce Harper homering, That game that had all of that ultimately resulted in a Nationals win. And that's the thing. The Nationals won a 10th victory in 13 games. The surge continues with easily the most drama-filled game so far this Nationals season. Mark, I'm not sure we have enough for this podcast. We'll see. How are you? I'm tired already, Al, just from hearing that replaying of the game that I just watched and covered and wrote about that took uh, a lot of words to get it all in. And you're right. I think we could probably take this podcast all the way up to first pitch on Wednesday since they're playing at 105. And it might take that long to rehash all of this. But I'm glad you made the ultimate point here. This is what matters more than anything else. They won the game. They've won eight of nine. They're in a three-way tie for second place. They're four games back of the Mets now. If they lose this game, 
all the other nonsense that happens to me overshadows it and, you know, kind of makes it kind of moot in the end. The point is, in spite of all that nonsense, they won the game. They stood tall at the end. Joe Girardi and the Phillies did not. And this team is starting to make a statement about itself, both in the results on the field, but also in the way that they're sort of conducting themselves, the way they handled that situation when it could have fallen all apart for for them, especially Max Scherzer. They stood tall in that inning. They stood tall in the bottom of the ninth when it could have fallen apart and emerged victorious. And this team has something going on right now. No doubt. For those listening who are Washington football team fans, Ron Rivera has a saying that he keeps making mention of, and that is, don't let that which is interesting distract from that which is important. The sticky stuff, stuff, Max Scherzer taking his pants off, Joe Girardi getting ejected, all that stuff is interesting. But what's important is that the Nationals won. And like Mark said, the Nats are in a three-way tie now for second place in the National League East. The Nats are rising. The Nats are right in the thick of this thing. And that, by miles, is the most important item. But the sticky stuff will be what everyone will be talking about on Wednesday. So let's dive headfirst into it right now. Max Scherzer, as if there wasn't enough going on with Max, by the way, on Tuesday, right? His first start back from the 10-day injured list. He's set to engage in a duel with Zach Wheeler, right? I mean, on paper, this was a juicy pitching matchup, Scherzer versus Wheeler. And Max ends up being checked not once, not twice, but three times as this was the Nationals' first game since MLB began its enhanced enforcement of rules prohibiting applying foreign substances to baseballs. At first, it was kind of a fun thing. The first time Max got checked, after the end of the bottom of the first, we had what is already set up to be an all-time great meme, or may-may if you're Bryce Harper, but you know that photo of Max being annoyed and disgusted with the body language while being checked by the umpires. Okay, fine. Max held his arms out, held his glove out, and took his hat off, and then started to walk away when Alfonso Marquez still had his glove. All I can think of, the guy who gets pulled out of the TSA line at the airport and is just steamed. He didn't say a word. He then got checked again after the bottom of the third inning. Okay, fine. And then things got testy with one out in the bottom of the fourth. Joe Girardi, and clearly in an exhibition of gamesmanship, saying, hey, you guys got to check Max. He keeps going to his hat. Max throws his hat to the ground. <laughs> unbuckles his pants. Davey Martinez comes out, starts yelling at Girardi. Joe is pretty clearly trying to mess with Max. And then Girardi ends up getting ejected after the bottom of the fifth off coming out of the dugout to scream at Max, who gave Girardi a death stare while walking back to the dugout. This was theater of the highest order. What did you think? And I know so many of the parties involved spoke after the game. What did they have to say? Well, first of all, there was a lot of performance art going on in this game from a lot of different people on both sides of the equation. And most of it was very calculated for various reasons. I think clearly Joe Girardi is trying to get under Max Scherzer's skin, throw him off, maybe throw the Nationals off in a game that the Nats led at that point, obviously. And maybe after a pitch that got away from him that almost hit Alec Bohm in the head, maybe kind of throw him out of whack a little bit. And look, let's be honest here, Max's command was all over the place in this game. There were a lot of pitches that were not anywhere close to their intended target. And he would say that that was because he didn't have a good grip on the ball, because he was only using rosin, and because he did not have any sweat naturally producing on what turned out to be a 66-degree June evening in Philadelphia. The only place he said he could find any sweat was in his hair. He said he, he put his hand to his mouth several times, 
but he's got rosin all over his hands. So now his mouth tastes like rosin and it's all dried out from that. So he felt like he had no choice but to go to his hair. Girardi trying to use that as an excuse to challenge it. And like I said, there was a lot of performance art going on there. I think Girardi knew what he was doing. I also think Max knew what he was doing from the beginning. He's not a fan of the way this was all going to be done. Even the first two like official checks by the umpires. He was putting on a show and he wants everyone to see how ridiculous this whole thing is. And then especially when Girardi did his thing, Max was going to put on an even bigger show now for that. So where's it all go in the end? I think, and I asked Max this question, and I think this is what he was thinking also. The ridiculousness of this whole evening is going to get the attention of a lot of people. Everyone in baseball is talking about this game more than anyone else in the sport on this night. And I think Max wants the people who make these decisions to realize we can't continue like this. What we're doing right now, you know, this is not the answer. I'd be very surprised if at the end of this week, this is still occurring the same way. They're going to have to find a better way to do this because that was out of control. It was not good. The game, which was a nine-inning game with a final score of 3-2, ended up taking three hours, 52 minutes. Now, the sticky stuff checks weren't the only reason the game took so long, but the sticky stuff checks did not help. And, you know, for all the talk about pace of play and time of game, this does those things no favors, that's for sure. I will say, if you're being objective about this, I don't blame Girardi for doing what he did. I actually think it's smart to do as he did. Now, you're not supposed to do what he did. But that doesn't mean that people won't try to do what he did and use this stuff for gamesmanship purposes. I also really like Davey Martinez coming out to stand by Max. I thought that was great. And that's what a manager should do. That was pretty cool to see. And, you know, with Max, the actual performance on Tuesday night, I think that's notable, too. And you mentioned it. Max, you know, it's funny, like his final line was good. He was effective, but he was off. I mean, he threw 106 pitches over five innings. Now, he threw a bunch of strikes. That's true. 70 strikes versus 36 balls. He finished with eight strikeouts. It's not like he issued a ton of walks, only three, but the guy threw a lot of pitches. Like when you strike a lot of guys out, that is a lot of pitches. The inning in which he gave up the run, the bottom of the second, the leadoff homer by Bryce Harper. After that, what happened? A full count walk of Andrew McCutcheon, a one out eight pitch walk of Brad Miller. Got out of the inning without giving up any more runs. But, you know, this was not the sort of normal Max Scherzer we're used to seeing. He was good, but he wasn't great. And he ended up being pulled after the five innings. You look at this, though, and social media was going crazy through all of this. So I think you're right. This is going to get a ton of attention for sure. But, you know, I think there also is an aspect of this of baseball had to do something. This clearly has been a problem. It's the way that I think baseball has gone about this that is the problem. But like the fact that the Max Scherzers and the Trevor Bowers are all bent out of shape about this, they're going to say that because the players these days complain about everything. I think baseball did have to do something. It's the how of the what that is the problem with all this. And Max would agree with you on that. He does believe that there have been a number of pitchers who've taken it a step too far in name any names. But, you know, I think we know who we've heard about and the idea of using stuff not just for grip, not just for tack, as the word that Max likes to use, and using it in an attempt to increase their spin right and ultimately enhance their performance. I guess that's the best way to describe it. So he does believe that stuff should be out. He does also believe that something should be allowed, that there should be some kind of universal substance that everybody knows they can use and is made available to everyone. He didn't say specifically what that is, but I would guess that he's a fan of pine tar and probably the sunscreen and rosin combo that we've heard so much about. I think what he's not a fan of and doesn't support is the spider tack and the you know excessive 
materials that have been concocted to try to help pitchers through this. I think his biggest issue is that MLB, number one, is doing this in the middle of the season, just on the fly, and that number two, they did it without consultation with the players. You know, Max is big in the union, and he very much wants to have a say in anything important that changes the game. And so he's not happy that MLB essentially decided to do this on their own without getting the union's input on it. And it just speaks to the even larger issue, which is there is no trust whatsoever between those two entities, owners and players, zero. And this is all going to come to a head next winter. That's a whole nother story, but this ties into it. And I think he, in particular, views this as just yet another example of Rob Manfred, who he called out by name post-game, by the way. These are Manfred rules. I mean, go ask him what he wants to do with this. Trying to unilaterally change the sport in a way that the players don't have a say in. The mechanics of this, too, are so interesting. The reason the owners, the reason MLB did not have to get the approval of the MLBPA is that these aren't new rules. MLB is seeking to just enhance the enforcement of existing rules. And the fact that there is, of course, a CBA for this season means that the MLB Players Association has agreed to these rules. You see, that's what's so screwed up about all this. If MLB had just enforced the rules that were supposed to be enforced for all these years, we wouldn't have this problem. But MLB did its thing, which it's done many times with many other things, most prominently PEDs of, yeah, we have rules, but we're not really enforcing them. So that's essentially a green light to do as you want to do. And then all of a sudden, one day, a bunch of people write a bunch of articles and some other people start complaining. And MLB says, yeah, you know what? We probably should do something. And MLB decides to do that something in the middle of the season without thinking things through. And now you have this mess. And I mean, it's incredible too, Mark. This is game one for the Nats with this enhanced enforcement. And we get this mess. Like, it's not like it took a week or, you know, even like a few games. Game one, this ends up being a big deal. Like, that is incredible when you think about it in that way. It's incredible, but honestly, I wasn't surprised. Because it was Max Scherzer, I had a feeling that this wasn't just going to be a a standard, check the guy out a couple of times, everything's fine. Like I said, Max knew what he was doing out there. He wanted to put on a show. He wanted to show everyone how ridiculous this was. This is long before Girardi ever stuck his nose into it. I mean, the way that Max reacted at the end of the first inning, when he goes straight to to the umpires, throws his arms out like it's me trying to go through TSA at the airport and they tell you, I'm sorry, sir, you need to step over here for additional screening. I mean, that's the look that he was giving. He knew exactly what he was doing and he wanted that image to be out there for people to see, to say, this is not the way this should be done. Yes, there's an issue that baseball needs to solve. We need to be better at this, but this is not the way to do it. So he he knew what he was doing there. But I think the other point, the reason that MLB, I think, is doing this midseason is that we're in the middle of a season in which there is less offense than there's been since 1968. And there's all this talk of what can we do to increase offense? Well, maybe it's the shift. Maybe it's uh, the number of pitchers on a roster. Maybe it's a three batter rule, all that stuff. Well, all of a sudden somebody realized, you know what? If you just get rid of the sticky substances, you can increase offense. And I think that was an appealing way for MLB to try to address an issue before this happened all season long, where we now have the lowest scoring season maybe of all time. So I get why they thought they needed to do this, but their method for doing it was not good. The fact that they tried to do it without the players being involved was not good. And like you said, they let this go on for years. And now all of a sudden they decided to do something about it. There was no reason this couldn't have been accomplished 
in one of the previous off seasons. All that time they spent arguing with each other over the protocols and the prorated salaries last year. Maybe they could have spent a little bit of time on actually improving the product on the field. And that's what this is about. Yeah. And that to me is on both sides. You know, I know people love to whack around Manfred like a pinata. I think the MLB Players Association shares in a lot of the blame for this stuff as well. And I would also say this, you can add a few runs to each game, but if each game now is going to take 20, 30 minutes longer, then so what? It doesn't matter. Baseball is driving people away with the slow pace of these games, but also the lengths of these games. Nobody has time for three and a half, four hours of baseball on a nightly basis. They've got to figure out a way to shorten these games, and you're getting longer and longer games. I mean, this game on Tuesday night, this was not 10-9. This was 3-2, and it took nearly four hours. That's a problem. That's a big problem. It was a big problem, although I would also point out that as I was out of the corner of my eye while I was writing my story, I was watching the final minute of the Phoenix Suns LA Clippers game since I'm suddenly a Suns fan for the first time in 25 years. And that was interminable with all the replay reviews. It took forever. And that sport has just as many issues. And I know we talk about baseball and we kill baseball for this. The NFL has it. The NBA has it. College basketball has it. There is an issue across all sports. And I think, yes, baseball has to be better at this, but I think all sports have to be better at getting rid of all this ridiculous dead time, especially when it goes to replay reviews. That's a whole nother story. Yeah. The issue though, is you have 162 of these in baseball. Like in the NFL, it's 16. You can tolerate it. You know, even basketball, hockey, it's 82. Baseball, 162. Nobody's got time for three plus hours of 162 times a season. Baseball's got to get its arms around that. All right, so we have all had that dream. Tie game, bottom of the ninth, bases loaded. Well, on FanDuel Sportsbook, you get more than just one shot to swing for the fences. That's because FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free. You heard that right. New users get up to $1,000 back in side credit if your first bet doesn't win, and it only gets better from there. Once you have an account, you'll have access to same-game parlay insurance all season long. That's up to $25 back Inside credit each day if your same-game parlay bet falls one leg short. This way you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. It's got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same-game parlay and always-on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. All you have to do is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code CHAT. And games on Wednesday afternoon include Milwaukee at Arizona at 340. This one is like stealing money. Brandon Woodruff is starting for the Brewers. He has an ERA of 194. The Diamondbacks are atrocious. Worst team in the majors. Take Milwaukee and thank us later. 21 plus and present Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager, only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanal.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-9-WITH-IT, Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia. Tennessee, 1-800-889-9789. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everybody on their feet applauding in Philadelphia. And sets the kick, and here it comes. Swinging a ground ball to short. Turner has it. His throw to first, and a curly W's in the books. Well, Max started. Nationals had to go to their bullpen because Max lasted for just the five innings. And I tell you what, the night for the bullpen could be a podcast installment all to its own. So first of all, the Nats with a pretty consequential roster move on Tuesday as the corresponding move to reinstating Max from the 10-day injured list, and that was placing Kyle Finnegan on the 10-day I.O., retroactive to June 21st with a left hamstring strain. The Nats ultimately end up going with Austin Voth, Tanner Rainey, and Brad Hand on Tuesday night. Rainey looked good, two scoreless innings, perfect bottom of the six, strikes out Bryce Harper on three pitches, strikes out Alec Bohm. Uh, Rainey has some issues, although he, too, had a couple of strikeouts, faced three batters in the bottom of the eighth, sandwich strikeouts of Adubel Herrera and J.T. Realmuto around giving up a one-out solo homer to Reese Hoskins on a one-two pitch. And then came the adventures of Brad Hand, who ultimately tossed one and a third scoreless innings. And if all you do is look at the box score, you say, well, Brad Hand, he's, 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 uh, his recent resurgence continues with a, another three-plus uh, out save generated here for the Nationals. But of course, if you watch the game, you know that that was not the case. Brad Hand needed to throw 34 pitches to get his four outs, came into the game in the bottom of the eighth, two outs, base is empty, Nats up by 1-3-2, gives up a single, a two-out single to Harper, then though strikes out Andrew McCutcheon on five pitches for the third out. Nice job by Hand in that plate appearance. McCutcheon was up in the count 2-0. Hand ends up getting McCutcheon to strike out. Last two strikes uh, in the plate appearance, called strikes. And then comes the bottom of the ninth, which was a mess. Brad Hand loaded the bases with one out, leadoff double to Alec Bohm, one out hit by pitch of Ronald Torres. A one-out infield single by a pinch-hitting Matt Veerling, uh, despite him having been down in the count at 1.02. Trey Turner unable to make the play. Hand does end up retiring the final two batters he faces. We had a scary moment for the second out. Odubel Herrera on a flyout to shallow left field. The putout made by Josh Harrison, who had moved to left field because Kyle Schwarber now can't play left field in the latter innings because of his knee. Uh, Harrison crashed into Trey Turner. That was frightening with Trey laying on his back for a while. You don't know what to make of that. So there was a lot to take in with this Brad Hand outing. What did you think watching this? We've been praising Brad Hand, and I guess we have to continue to praise Brad Hand, but that certainly was not easy on Tuesday night. Let's just do another episode on the bottom of the ninth alone. I mean, you just spelled it all out there. There's enough. <laughs> we could do 30 minutes on that, right? I think we could, yeah. Yeah, I think we could. All right, I'm going to defend Brad Hand a little bit here, though, and here's why. Look at the runners who reached on him. Bryce Harper in the eighth, that was a broken bat single, little blooper. The strikeout on McCutcheon was fantastic. He had him completely mystified 
McCutcheon had no idea what pitches he was going to throw. And is ready now. The kick in. Here it comes. Slider. Strike three called. He knew that too. Immediately drops his bat and takes off his shin guard. Brad Hand gets the strikeout to end the inning. And now he'll get his cap and his glove and his belt checked. Now, the Bohm double to lead off the ninth. Yeah, that's legitimate. That was a rocket to deep left center field. So that one was bad. The hit by pitch, I'm still not convinced the pitch hit him. I never saw a good replay of it, and the umpire didn't seem to be totally sold on it either. Like, his signal did not look like a hit-by-pitch signal. He didn't motion him to go to first base. So I don't know what exactly happened there. And then the other single is a little dribbler to shortstop. That, you know, tough play, and Turner couldn't make it. So, yeah, Hand got himself in that jam, and the double, of course, was legitimate. That started the whole thing. But I didn't think he really got beat otherwise, other than that. And he did come through, made the pitches when he had to, to get the final two outs against the top of the order. It wasn't the bottom of the order who got the rally started. So my more bigger concern here is, like you said, 34 pitches, and he was pitching for the fourth time in five days. And you wonder, did that have any impact on this? Now, those previous outings, he did not have to throw a lot. The pitch counts for those games were 6, 1, and 12. And Monday was a day off. So, you know, he was coming in somewhat fresh, but still four times in five days is four times in five days. And you wonder if there was a effect of all that on him. And maybe that had anything to do with him not being quite as sharp in this one. So he's got to have a day off. They need to score more runs on Wednesday if they're going to win the game and give somebody else in the bullpen a bigger lead. So Davey isn't tempted to go to hand in the safe situation. And truth be told, they should have been way ahead in this game because they blew some chances early on. We can get to that. They should have been up way more than three to one and then three to two and probably never should have even had to get to Brad Hand. 100%. Brad Hand, I think he may soon change his last name to Brad Hudson because of how much he's being used here lately. <laughs> or Doolittle. Yeah, or yeah, Brad Doolittle or Brad Suero. There are a lot of different names he could go with. I would say this. You're right. Hand did get nickel and dime to an extent, but he had like Torres, who he hit by the pitch. He had him down at 1.12. Veerling, who had that infield single, was down at 1.02. Like, Back end of the bullpen guy, you got to have swing and miss stuff. You got to get strikeouts in situations like that. He didn't do that in those spots, but he did not get tattooed to your point. That is true. And look, ultimately he came through, right? I mean, at the end of the day, what matters? One and a third scoreless innings. That's what the box score says. But those man, 34 pitches and that bottom of the ninth, that was tension filled. You talk about like a high stress inning. That's about as stressful as it gets. I mean, I know we're in the middle of June. It's not October. But man, every single pitch in that inning, it was like pulling teeth, it felt like, just watching that game. That was an inning that refused to end. Thankfully, though, it ended in a favorable way for the Nationals. Well, you just mentioned it. The Nationals' offense was not good again on Tuesday night. Now, the Nats do win. And I want to give the Nats credit for this. They did get to Zach Wheeler. And Wheeler's having an excellent season. Came into the game with an ERA of 215, an ERA plus of 182. And understand this, too, about Zach Wheeler. He came into the game number one in the National League in innings pitched this season at 96 and a third over 14 starts. That the Nats were able to get Wheeler out of the game after just three innings, during which he gave up three runs on 73 pitches. That was an achievement. So props to the Nats for that, because they haven't done that nearly enough this season. Hit good pitching. But ultimately, just three runs, nine hits, two walks, and so many opportunities to blow this game open, or at the very least, you know, make it so that you have five or six runs, and the Nats end up scoring three runs on what? Three RBI singles, you know? Like a typical 2021 Nationals <laughs> offensive performance. Three runs or less on a bunch of singles. That's what the Nats did on Tuesday night. 
Well, at least they were three singles with runners in scoring position. They were. Five batters into the game, I'm thinking, all right, hey, they got something going here. You had three straight singles. Soto with the hit and run, I thought was great. Josh Bell with the RBI single. Jan Gomes doing it again, and then he did it in the third as well. So, I mean, that was all good, but they just couldn't deliver that final blow that they needed. And I'm going to point to a couple of just critical at-bats here. So after the Gomes RBI single in the first, they're up 2 nothing. They're still threatening with two on. Starling Castro takes a fastball down the middle for strike three. That just ruined that inning. Harrison then hit lines out to center, you know, good solid contact. But you can't even get the bat on the ball. You can't even swing the bat, Starlin, move the runners up something. That one was obviously bad. And it's not the first time, of course, that that's been the case for him. And then in the third, they load the bases. Should be a great opportunity, right? Loaded, bases loaded. Victor Robles at the plate and a pretty weak grounder to the third baseman for the third out. He is now 0 for 8 with the bases loaded this season. The team, I've lost track, but you all know the stats at this point. They're hitting about 150 as a team with the bases loaded. So those were the two that stood out the most to me as golden opportunities. Just one more hit would have made a huge difference. And two, probably the two most consistently struggling hitters who are in the daily lineup, both of them failed in those spots. It is a rough patch in that Nationals lineup once you get beyond the fifth spot, which pretty consistently lately has belonged to Jan Gomes. But in some order, it's Castro, Harrison, Robles, and the pitcher. And right now, those four spots feel like four automatic outs. By the way, Josh Harrison buried in the seventh spot on Tuesday night, right? I mean, for the longest while, Josh Harrison was the number two batter. And his season has gone the way of now him being all the way down in the seventh spot. And I don't necessarily blame Davey for doing that, but that just tells you a lot about where his season has gone here. But this is what you're dealing with with this Nationals offense. Basically, half of the lineup is essentially an automatic out right now. That's the way it feels anyway. And so you had something like that with those uh, two items you got into from Tuesday night, you know, big spots in which Castro and Robles failed uh, to deliver. Kyle Schwarber was, again, the number one batter. No homers for Schwarby on Tuesday night. One for five with a couple of strikeouts. Had a one-out single in the top of the fourth. Trey Turner in that two spot, 0 for 4 with a walk. He left three men on base. Juan Soto had two hits, but two singles. Uh, Josh Bell had the RBI single, like Mark said. And Jan Gomes, two RBI singles for him. So good to see that. Nats do win, though. That's what matters the most. The Nats continue to rise here. Eight wins in nine games, 10 victories in 13 games, and a chance for a two-game sweep if the Nats can come through on Wednesday afternoon. I mean, you know, we think about this, three or four from the Mets and potentially a two-game sweep at the Phillies. What a six-day stretch here, or five-day stretch here, I guess, right? Because you had a doubleheader on Saturday if the Nats can pull this off on Wednesday. And the good news is, Eric Fetty is going. The ace, the stopper in the rotation right now. Are the Phillies ready for Fetty? That's the question. 20 consecutive scoreless innings, an ERA of 254 over his last nine starts since getting rocked in his regular season debut. You're not facing Zach Wheeler on Wednesday afternoon either. Vince Velasquez is starting. It's funny, Velasquez is kind of like the Fetty of the Phillies, a guy who was supposed to be good for years, has never really blossomed into what he was supposed to be. Well, Fetty is in the midst of blossoming. Velasquez has an ERA of 444 over 14 games, including 10 starts this season. What are we thinking here? Is Fetty going to keep this going with another gem on Wednesday afternoon? Uh, you'd like to think so. Sure. I mean, I, I just interviewed him the other day and uh, did a nice big piece on him at MassInSports.com about both the shock of the COVID 
positive test and how he reacted to that, but more importantly, how he has pitched here to the best stretch of his life. And for the first time, he feels like he has earned a spot in the rotation, not just because of somebody else being injured or there being a spot available to him. And he also doesn't feel like he has to look over his shoulder where one bad outing is suddenly going to cost him his job. And I think that has made a huge difference for him. I think the two things that have happened with Eric Fetty, number one, adding the cutter to be a big part of his arsenal is a pitch he can throw up in the zone and get swings and misses with so that he doesn't just have to be sinkers and change-ups down trying to get ground balls. Now he has an out pitch up in the zone. So that's number one. But number two is I think just the confidence that he has because he's been trusted to hold down a spot in the rotation, because he's strung together a good number of positive starts together, even after the you know four weeks off because of the COVID diagnosis. So I think this is a, the next big step for him. Can he now, now that people are sort of paying attention to him and the Phillies aren't going to be taking him lightly because they know he's got a 20 inning scoreless streak going, can he come through against them in what's now a big start on Wednesday? So I think it's important for him to get off to a good start. I think it's important for him to give him some innings. And I think it's important even more than that for the Nationals to score some runs off Vince Velasquez and take some pressure off Fetty and whoever ends up coming out of the bullpen. Now, Velasquez started on June 6th against them. This was the just awful game, 12 to 6, that took forever when Austin Voth got hit by the pitch. And what's lost in that is they did get to Velasquez. They scored three runs off him early and knocked him out with a pitch count of 80, only four innings in. They need to do that again. They need to score some runs off him hopefully take uh, advantage of him being wild and take a lead and then not uh, give it away the way they did on that Sunday afternoon. Yeah, Velasquez isn't that good. There was a period of time in which it was thought Velasquez and Aaron Nola were going to anchor the Phillies rotation for years to come. Obviously, Nola ended up becoming good. Velasquez really has never delivered. You know, I've thought about this with Fetty. We had that item that emerged in March of Fetty and his agent, Scott Boris, having successfully gotten overturned Fetty having one minor league option left. And in the moment, right, the Nats are disappointed by that because they want as many optionable pitchers as possible. But looking back on it, was that not a blessing in disguise that it kind of forced the Nats to keep Fetty at the major league level? And if not for that, maybe we're not seeing Fetty doing as he's doing right now? Absolutely. Same for Austin Voth. You know, one of those two guys was going to be out. And we, we even thought <laughs> that somebody was going to get designated for assignment, that they weren't going to have enough spots. And it was the the COVID outbreak at the beginning of the season and Strasburg uh, getting hurt early on that kind of saved them all. They didn't think they were going to have room for all of them on their staff. But at the very minimum, the fact that none of them had options forced the issue to be all on the staff. And Fetty was supposed to be in the bullpen. And we all said, it's not really a good place for him to be in the bullpen. But it bought him some time. And then Strasburg being hurt allowed him to start what was like the second game of the season. And I absolutely think it proved to be a benefit to Fetty. And now what we've finally seen is that he's able to pitch every five days and stay on a routine. We've been talking about it all year long. What a difference that would make for him to not get jerked around the way he has in the past. Now, he's earned it by the way he's pitched. If he wasn't doing this, there'd be more concern about this. And maybe they wouldn't be able to afford to put him on the mound every fifth day. But I think they're now seeing and he's now seeing that when he's effective and he stays on a routine like that, he can be a good, effective big league starter that can go more than four or five innings at a time. You see, who says Scott Boris isn't good for the Nationals? Him successfully <laughs> challenging that last Fetty option. And look at all the good that it's led to here for the Nats. Well, it would be a beautiful thing if the Nats can pull this off a two-game sweep 
at the Phillies, especially with all these games coming up. Nats do not have an off day now, at least not a scheduled off day, until the All-Star break. Well, we do want to thank all of you listening to the Nats Chat podcast. We have ascended on this podcast into the top 20 in the country on the Apple podcast rankings of baseball podcasts in the U.S. A tremendous achievement, a credit to you guys for listening to the pod, downloading the pod, subscribing to the pod, rating and reviewing the podcast. So thank you very much. Please continue to spread the word. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the podcast. And especially if you're on Apple Podcasts, if you could just give it a five-star rating and just write like a one-sentence review, uh, that stuff helps out a lot. But uh, it means a lot to us to have your support, and we want to keep this going. And certainly, as the Nationals continue to do well, uh, we look forward to the Nats Chat podcast universe expanding. So uh, very cool to have that going on. You can always tweet us here at the Nats Chat podcast at Nats underscore chat. You can email us too, Nats Chat podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget, Nats Chat podcast t-shirts remain available. You can get yours by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. Catch your breath. That was some game on Tuesday night. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. I've seen Max a long time, since 2010. Obviously, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Um, But I've never seen him wipe his head like he was doing tonight, ever. Um, Going like this, right? So it was suspicious for me. He did it about four or five times. Um, It was suspicious. I didn't mean to offend anyone. I just got to do what's right for our club. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.